whatever the need may be. Trust the Lord to work in His perfect will and plan in their lives. All right, Epaphroditus is the Bible character that we will be studying tonight. And Epaphroditus is not a common name uh, that we have in our culture. And uh, not because there's anything that is necessarily negative about Epaphroditus, but obviously it's not a, a name that we're familiar with. He's a character that only has just a few verses in uh, the Bible, but yet he is in the Holy Scriptures and he has some significant character qualities and performed a significant ministry for the early church and to the Apostle Paul. So I do not know, um, we don't know, excuse me, a whole lot about Epaphroditus, even extra-biblically, as in, in historical records, there's just not a lot of biographical information about him. But a few things that we can identify is that uh, his name, though it is similar to Epaphras and comes from a similar Greek word, he is distinct, as best we can tell, he is distinct from Epaphras, who is mentioned in Philemon verse 23, Colossians 1, 7, and Colossians 4 and verse number 12. If you have the prayer sheet and you flip it over and you see on the half sheet there, I'll try not to lose you. I don't have the blanks underlined on the, the slide, but his name does appear to be distinct from Epaphras, though both of their names come from this Greek, the original language, this Greek root that is actually part of the name for the Greek goddess Venus, and Aphrodite is uh, another name, that's the Greek word from which we get Epaphras and uh, Epaphroditus, so those uh, words uh, help us a little bit with understanding the meaning of his name. It's very possible that Aphroditus got saved out of a Greek, idolatrous, pagan community. Philippi did not even have enough Jews to have a synagogue when they first went to Philippi. And I believe it was Dorcas that got saved down by the, the river. Eventually, uh, others got saved. The church began. It was there in Philippi that they ended up in jail, the Philippian jailer. We know that story well. What must I do to be saved? So Epaphroditus got saved. We're, we're assuming he got saved as a result of Paul's ministry there in Philippi. And it's possible because of the connection of his name with this Greek goddess, and we know the, the name Venus more than we know the name Aphrodite. And what is that old saying? Men are, men are from Mars, women are from... The men are from Mars and women are from Venus? Okay, so uh, whatever that means. But uh, we're familiar at least with the name Venus, probably from uh, Greek mythology and, and that, that saying. So he probably got saved out of a Greek culture, pagan idolatrous culture, and his name probably reflects some of what his parents would have been involved in when he was born, and they, they named him. Again, some of that is just uh, some speculation or assumptions, but knowing the Greek culture, 
and what was going on at that time and knowing about the city of Philippi and Paul's ministry there, more than likely Epaphroditus got saved as a result of Paul's ministry there in Philippi. So again, as best we can tell, he's a native of Philippi. And then we know that Paul wrote the book of Philippians, one of the prison epistles from the prison there in Rome. And Epaphras would have traveled all the way across from Philippi to Rome, bringing gifts, particularly a monetary gift. The church, remember Paul was a tent maker, bivocational, and he was in prison now in Rome. They wanted to be a blessing to him. They wanted to do something to meet his needs. We assume, as best we can tell from the scriptures, that there was a monetary gift, and there may have been other things included with that. We know that Paul asked for a cloak and for parchments in, in another passage, and so it's possible that Philippi sent other things. Now, remember, Epaphroditus was not on a jet airplane. He was not on a cruise liner. He may have taken a ship, obviously, across the Adriatic Sea, but he wasn't in a cruise liner. He wasn't going to be in a car or an EV, electric vehicle, or anything like that. He was going to be traveling by foot, or he may have had some sort of animal to ride on. But look at the distance that he would have traveled. As Philippi, the church at Philippi, wanted to be a blessing to Paul, who's over here in Rome, look at that distance that he would have had to have traveled. Again, without plane, train, or car, or the modern conveniences of transportation that we have. And the church at Philippi was burdened, mostly first-generation Christians, had suffered persecution right away with the way that uh, the Jews persecuted Paul and threw him in prison and all that went on there. And yet these people loved Paul. They loved him intensely. One of the most fervent prayers of Paul is in Philippians chapter number one, and he says in verse three, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then, of course, the book of Philippians is all about joy and rejoicing. And so this church had a special place in Paul's life, and the feeling was mutual, and Epaphroditus was the one, I would like to say, he was one of the first ones to raise his hand to volunteer to go. And maybe he was chosen. Um, but I, I sense that what we read here about Epaphroditus, he would have been one of those guys raising his hand saying, let me, let me, I want to go, I want to go. And as far as we know, he went solo. Now, maybe there were other people who went along the way and then they eventually dropped out, but we don't know that. But we know that Epaphroditus made it all the way to Rome and delivered the, these gifts. I don't know what he had to go through for security clearance to get into. Again, I, I've been to Washington, D.C. I've been into the, the, the White House. The, it's called the White House, but it's one of the offices there next. We had to go through so many security clearances. We had to send in our social security numbers and I don't know what all we had to do. I mean, can you imagine in that day getting, getting all the way across to, to Rome? I didn't do the mileage, but can you imagine getting all the way across there to Rome and not being sure you could even get in to see Paul and deliver your gifts? I mean, what kind of 
confidence would he have had that he could have even gotten there? I mean, there's a lot of risk involved. I guess that's what I'm trying to say more than anything is this wasn't a vacation. Uh, we'll find out later that Epaphras almost died on this trip, as we read in, in Philippians uh, chapter 2. But Epaphroditus was willing to go on this trip, and he had a long, travel, a long distance to travel, a lot of obstacles along the way, and there was much risk involved. So in, Phil in Philippians 4 and verse 18 is mention of this gift. We know Philippians 4 and verse 19 very well. Most of us have it memorized. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That is in the context of this gift that the Philippian church sent to Paul while he was in prison in Rome. So the context of God supplying all of our needs is in the context of us giving and giving sacrificially. And even if we take Epaphroditus into consideration, there was a risk involved, even to his very life, in getting that offering to Paul. Philippians 2 and verse 25. Philippians 2 and verse number 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Lack of service is not a negative. That is simply saying what you were not able to do, Epaphroditus did. Essentially, what it is saying is you couldn't all make that trip. Epaphroditus did. So he's not saying shame on you for not doing more. That's not what, what Paul is trying to say. Paul is just simply saying Epaphroditus did what all of you would have been willing to do if you could. And he made that journey and he is thanking them for their gift. And he is commending Epaphroditus for his sacrifice and for being the one willing to make that trip, even as, as we just read there even taking his life into his own hands. For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Can I pause here again for a minute? We do a lot of travel. Uh, we have cars and planes and all the different modern conveniences. And there's a measure of risk. Marty just gave a prayer request. There was an accident out here and someone passed away. And there's tragedies in the news about accidents. But we travel fairly safely, really. We, we almost take it for granted because we have such safety measures and good vehicles. I remember traveling in Kenya, and it was scary. And the missionary, the one missionary that I traveled with, he'd play chicken with the, the, the Kenyan drivers. He'd get into the other lane, and he'd dare them to be the ones to get over. They'd be flashing lights at each other, and I'm over there praying Psalm 23, Hey, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I want to see my mom again, you know. <laughs> and, and he's... He's doing that, and then there's roundabouts that are like four, five, six lanes wide, and he would be on the inside, and he would go across in the roundabout. He'd go across like five, four or five lanes of traffic to get off. Sometimes we'd go around in circles a while until he could finally make his way over. 
safety in America, we, we take it for granted, but in these countries around the world, it's dangerous to travel. You don't travel after dark. You don't travel in certain areas. You travel with certain groups of people. We have told Emily, if she's off campus, if she's going even somewhere around town here in Lafayette, definitely down in Indy, you go with the group. You take somebody with you. You know, we pack the heat. Many of us do, okay? But what I'm saying is, in, in that day in Bible times, for Epaphroditus to make that trip, there were a lot of risks. There were a lot of dangers from robbers to the weather to just the sheer nature of the travel, the terrain, and then having to take a boat across the Aegean Sea and the storms. There was a lot of risk involved, and he nearly died in this trip. He's referred to as a brother. Here we see in verse 25, my brother. Now, this is one of the, one of the places that we get the term brother, and we sometimes refer to a Christian woman as sister, and there's nothing wrong with those. As a matter of fact, we see here the term brother. I think I've mentioned before, I do somebody growing up, he drove me crazy because everybody was brother. It was brother this and brother that. And I finally just wanted to tell him one time, my name is Brent, not brother. But anyway, there are some people, it's just brother this, brother that, sister this, sister that. And it's not that those terms are wrong to use. We see that's even biblical here. But uh, brother has more than just a casual term or title that we throw around. Brother means fellow Christian. It has to do with that bond that we have in Christ. It is a term of affection. And we see in the words that we just, in the verses we just read, how much Paul loved Epaphroditus. How much Paul was thankful for Epaphroditus and for the church at Philippi. And we've already read a couple of verses in chapter one about what Paul thought of the, the Philippian church. There was a bond in Christ, there was an affection, there was a love. And that term brother encompasses a lot more than just a title that we use to refer to somebody, especially when we don't know their first name. We just call them brother or her name, and we call her sister. There was a special meaning to that term brother. Companion in labor. Companion in labor. Literally, it means fellow worker, and it is from the word in the original language that we get our term, our word, synergy. We talk about synergy. A dictionary definition of our term synergy would be the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. You put, and I don't know how it all works, someone gave me the illustration years ago about taking two oxen or two cows or two horses and putting them together, and separately they can only do so much, you put them together and then it exponentially exponentially raises their horsepower or their ability to pull so much weight, etc. That's where we this is where we get the word synergy, companion in labor. Think about that. When we serve the Lord together, there is a sanctified Christian synergy that is of the Lord, that is God's grace, God's strength. 
God working through us in spite of us. But when we are willing, when we are servants, when we are humble, when we serve the Lord with the right heart, with a pure motive, wanting to do the Lord's work and see God glorified in it, there is a synergy that God gives us as we work together. That's what God wants in the church. Epaphroditus and Paul had that. The church at Philippi had that. And that's what we want to have here at Berean. That's what we want to see the Lord do in our lives and have that synergy where as we serve the Lord together, fellow laborers, companions in labor for the Lord, see God do exceeding and abundant, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And then we see also this phrase, fellow soldier, fellow soldier. It is literally the term that is used for a soldier in military service. What is Paul speaking to? The spiritual battle that we're in. He's speaking to the marching orders that we get from the Lord. He's dealing with the fact that there has to be a discipline and a dedication and a commitment, that there has to be a determination and an effort, that there's a goal in mind that we are in the spiritual battle for the Lord and we have to have our defenses up and we have to have an offense with the word of God in the right sense of that word, in the power of prayer, and we see in that simple phrase, once again, the Christian warfare that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, spiritual wickedness, high places. We see that just in the way that Paul refers to Epaphroditus. And then we also see the word messenger. He was the messenger. He was the messenger in verse 25, your messenger. We also see the term ministered to my, to my wants. So again, we see uh, ministry in Epaphroditus's uh, coming and bringing that gift. But this word messenger, has, it, is the, it is the word apostle, but it has to do with the general sense of being sent with a commission. The Philippian church, the church at Philippi, gave Epaphroditus a commission, and he was the messenger, he was the apostle to Paul to take that gift. The general term for apostle there. Not that he was capital A apostle and added to the, the 12 or the, the 13. Um, obviously, we think of, of Paul as the 13th, the apostle to the Gentiles. It wasn't that Epaphroditus got the capital A apostle title. It's just that he was the messenger in there's some thought that Epaphroditus, more than likely this is the case, it seems to, the scriptures seem to indicate that Epaphroditus was the one who took the letter to Philippi from the hand of Paul. The epistle to the Philippians very likely went with Epaphroditus all the way back across to Philippi and delivered. And so Epaphroditus had the privilege to carry the inspired word of God in its autograph form and deliver it to Philippi. And then it would have been read to the whole church. That was what was common in those days. They couldn't just go out to the copy machine. They couldn't just go down to the UPS store. They couldn't just throw on a, a piece of paper on a printer and make a bunch of copies. The first thing that they would have done probably is taken that letter and spread it out in front of the church and read it to the whole church. 
And of course, people would have, the early church would have recognized this is the inspired, God-breathed word of God. But that's what that word messenger is referring to. And he was a messenger to Paul, but Paul refers to him as your messenger, not just to him, but also probably back with the letter to uh, the Philippians. And he ministered, he that ministered to my wants. So we see he, he was involved in ministry and service. And then we, use, then we see in Philippians 4, in verse number 18, how much Paul thought of this gift and the sacrifice. Philippians 4, in verse 18, but I have all and abound. Paul's saying, I don't need anything more. You have been a blessing to me. I'm not asking for more. And, and again, he's not asking for a prayer cloth or put money on my credit card. He's not saying that there needs to be a health, wealth, and prosperity. If you just have enough faith, you will send me more. Show your faith in God by sending me more money. You don't see that attitude in Paul at all. Paul says, I have plenty. You have done, uh, you have, I have all and abound. You have been a blessing above and beyond what I could even have imagined. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That's Old Testament language. That's the language referring to the sacrifices on the altar in the temple in the tabernacle. That's powerful language. They would have recognized that as many of them in that church would have been Jews. Hellenistic Jews, but still Jews who would have had some recognition of those phrases, those words being references to the Old Testament sacrifices. That meant these had great spiritual value. Their gift... Their sacrifice, the ministry of Epaphroditus, was a spiritual service unto the Lord in a spiritual sacrifice for God. That's incredible that when God gives us the opportunity to serve, not that we get the big head about it, not that we think, well, I'm, God, I'm, I'm Mr. Spiritual, look at my ministry. You know, not that, not that it's that kind of, it's God has... An honor, there is a blessing, there is an honor that God receives and a blessing that God bestows upon us as humble servants, not, again, for spiritual pride, but it just goes to show that even the little things that God gives us to do in his service can bring honor to his name and God can bestow a blessing and it is well-received. So sometimes the gifts and the sacrifices are up front and they're flashy and they're seen by everybody. But many times the greatest sacrifices are the little things behind the scenes, serving the Lord faithfully, ministering to others. And they all, when done with the right heart motive, done with the heart of sacrifice and humility unto the Lord for his glory, they are a sweet smelling aroma in the nostrils of God. And there's a blessing that God bestows upon us for that. That's an incredible thought. And again, Paphroditus probably carried the epistle to the Philippians from Rome. So we'll go through in these final points. I'll go ahead and just put them up there. And if you want to fill in blanks there, if you're doing that, you can do that while we walk through these, some of which I've already touched on. But we see willingness and sacrifice. Again, I can't help but think Epaphroditus was there in the church at Philippi saying, I want to go, send me. I'll take that gift. 
I want to go see Paul. Paul led me to the Lord. I heard Paul preach. I got saved under his ministry. I can just imagine some of this in my mind's eye, Epaphroditus saying, I want to be the one to go. And I don't think Epaphroditus would have been doing it for glory so that he could get a medal of honor and he could be given a ticker tape parade when he came back. I don't see that at all in, in, in Epaphroditus's in, in his description. I see Epaphroditus simply being one who was willing to do this, knowing it was going to be a long journey, there was going to be a lot of risks, and we know that it almost cost him his life. This was probably not an easy task, but Epaphroditus was willing to do it. You see, again, service. He ministered to Paul's needs. We see Philippians 4 and verse 18, that it was a sacrifice that was an odor of a sweet smell, acceptable to the Lord, well-pleasing to God. I've already touched on that, so we'll move on to the bond that we have with other believers. He referred to him as brother. We were in a spiritual battle. We talked about being fellow soldiers. And then we see God desires to meet the needs of his servants by the charity of his people. Not just in taking care of pastors and missionaries and evangelists, but also there are people who God puts in our life who have needs, and we have the ability, we have the opportunity as God blesses, as God allows us to, and we can help meet those needs. We're not talking social gospel here. But the burden that God lays on people's hearts to help and to minister, even sometimes financially, it's not always financially. It can be taking the kids for a few hours while mom and dad go out and get something to eat without children. It could be um, something as far as a ride to church, transportation to a, to a doctor's appointment. There's all kinds of different ways in which God meets the needs of his people using other people, other fellow Christians who see the need and have the desire to help and are willing to give of their time, give of their money, give of their resources to help each other. And we see that even though Paul was an apostle, we still see the church meeting the need of Paul and sending that gift. It was a spiritual sacrifice, and we've talked, on, talked about this a little bit. But I want to go to Psalm 24 as we close, because sacrifices that are given with the right heart attitude bring this special aroma that, are, that is well-pleasing to the Lord. The sacrifice with the right heart attitude, the right sacrifice, the right attitude in the Old Testament, that sacrifice had to be without blemish. It had to be brought with the law of God being followed precisely, and then there's also the motive of the heart that comes into play. He has shown the old man what is good, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And there's a heart that God wants. In Psalm 24, sacrifices are important, doing them according to the law of God, but notice, even in Psalms, before we ever get to the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus deals with the hearts, and as the covenant of grace, the new covenant is established, and the ceremonial aspects of the law go away, we see even as far back as Psalm 24 that God has always been after the heart. Psalm 24, did I say Psalm 24? Yes. The earth is the Lord's, 
in the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's what God wants. God wants our hearts. John 4 and verse 24, as Jesus was witnessing to the Samaritan woman, and she was all caught up in where and when and how. And Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. Truth. God wants our heart. Epaphroditus gave from his heart. Paul recognized it, and in Holy Scriptures, we have the testimony written of Epaphroditus that his service, his sacrifice, was an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Can that be said about us? Can that be said about our lives as a living sacrifice? Can that be said about how we serve the Lord? Or is our life bringing a stench? Is it causing a stink? You ever had something die around your house? I was out doing yard work a few weeks ago, and there was something dead in the front flower bed or over by the bushes. I never even told Kelly about it. But I kept, I mean, I was raking leaves, and I was just expecting to see some rodent come rolling over some dead carcass. It stunk. Eventually it went away, so I eventually, you know, must have done the right thing. Somehow it went down the hill behind our house. Because I was taking loads of stuff out and dumping it down the hill behind our house, and maybe that dead carcass went down the hill, but something stunk. And sometimes our lives are pretty stinky. They're not a sweet-smelling aroma, well-pleasing to the Lord. May our lives be like Epaphroditus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together tonight. May, Lord, each of us be like Epaphroditus. May that be our testimony, that we are a companion in labor, a messenger ministering, fellow soldiers, a brother or sister in Christ with that bond of affection for one another. And may we have the heart of sacrifice, the heart of humility that Epaphroditus had in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. And there's a security team meeting that will be starting here in probably five minutes or so uh, up toward the front. So our conversations probably should drift toward the back and into the lobby or fellowship hall. That way they can Uh, hear what Denny has to say up here.